It's worth knowing what's really going on. This is the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Donald Trump has been indicted in Atlanta. We have so many court dockets to follow, but we haven't really seen anything yet. The Atlanta Journal-Constitution has covered every moment of this historic case. I've been writing about this investigation for two and a half years. Our team is led by reporters Bill Rankin and Tamar Hallerman. Follow our coverage on AJC.com and listen to new in-depth episodes of the award-winning podcast, Breakdown, the Trump Indictment, only from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. You all can learn something new by subscribing to the Atlanta Journal-Constitution's new newsletter called Unapologetically ATL. It's all about the people, the events, and the entertainment happening in Metro Atlanta that Black people might want to know about. So subscribe today at www.ajc.com slash unapologetically ATL. This is Access Atlanta. Every week, we share some of the best places to eat, play, and live out loud in the ATL. And, of course, we go behind the scenes and find the stories that show Atlanta is one of a kind. Welcome to Access Atlanta. I'm your host, Shane Harrison. We've changed the way we do our podcast. That means we're recording it remotely from our homes, but we've also changed what we're talking about in the podcast, since we've always prided ourselves on providing guidance on things to do in and around Atlanta, and because most venues, theaters, and attractions are closed, we're going indoors, and in some cases where it's practical, outdoors to places where it's easy to practice social distancing. Despite all the obstacles and upheaval, 2020 was a pretty good year for music, at least the recorded variety. Live music is a different story. The pandemic actually inspired some artists to record and release new albums that might have taken much longer to reach us in normal times. Taylor Swift's Folklore, for example, was recorded during the pandemic and released less than a year after her previous album, and she's just announced she's releasing another one. On the other hand, Once those albums were released, the usual live show promotion that went along with them didn't happen. Artists had to get creative with live streams and a mind-boggling array of merchandise and alternate versions. Again, Taylor Swift's Folklore came in eight different covers and, in the vinyl version, eight different colors. But live music venues had fewer options, and many have likely closed down permanently. Today I'm joined by the AJC's music writer, Melissa Ruggieri, to talk about this monumentally strange year in music. Welcome, Melissa. Hey, Shane. So it's been a strange one. It has. I've spent so much more time in front of my TV set this year at night than I ever have in my career. (laughs) (laughs) It took a lot of getting used to after March, you know, started the shutdown of live music, of having nowhere to go three or four nights a week and no concerts to cover and no events to attend and interviews to do in person and everything that, that went along with that. But from what I'm hearing, it looks as if spring, late spring is going to be a possibility for some return and, you know, certainly by summer. I know the big concert promoters are hoping that they can get pretty much the full slate of the amphitheater season in. What that's going to look like, though, is everybody's guess at this point, because a lot of these tours that were rescheduled, some of them were already sold out, like Alanis Morissette's tour and James Taylor and Jackson Brown. And, you know, even though they've rescheduled for next summer, are they going to be able to be full capacity venues? And if you've already sold, you know, 15,000 tickets, would you tell 7,500 of those people if they're only doing 50% capacity? So, 
there's right. there's a lot to work out but you know yeah it, it was it is funny when i was looking up some notes to talk about this today i remembered going to see celine dion in january at state farm arena that was i think the first concert of the sh- of the year that i saw here and <laughs> the last line of my review is it's obviously too early to christen the best concert of the year but dion is already a contender yeah you know she <laughs> she, she probably was the best concert of the year <laughs> she really didn't have yeah. a lot of competition even though it really was a great show and and she really you know she hadn't been here in more than a decade and her voice was in just uh, impeccable form and she just sounded great and looked great but it, yeah it was just so weird to kind of look back at that and then the Eagles did two nights of the Hotel California tour at State Farm in February. It was the tour kickoff. And that was also sort of the beginning of what was going to be one of our busiest concert years. I mean, we had nine stadium shows booked from the Rolling Stones to Bieber to Guns N' Roses. I mean, it was just going to be one of those exhausting years of how do I spend my money? Which which of these three do I go to? You know, kind of thing. Right. And then Tony Bennett did Symphony Hall in February. I, every time Tony, I love Tony Bennett anyway, but I always wanted to see him more recently because, you know, when you're in your 90s and you're still performing, there's a good chance this might be the last tour that you do. And boy, tell believe me, I am so grateful that that I decided to see Tony then. And then March was really it for me. I had gone to New York for the Allman Brothers 50th anniversary show at Madison Square Garden. And that's the last venue I've been inside this year. And we did have those drive-in shows at the end of October with Jason Isbell, Blackberry Smoke, Indigo Girls, and Yacht Rock Review. And then right. that, and also that weekend at Centennial Park with, it was Big Boy, Marcus King, and uh, Moon Taxi. And, you know, I mean, those are, those were, by that point, you know, six, seven months into the pandemic, everybody was either so desperate to get out and experience something live or so disillusioned by this is what the reality is for right now that they wanted nothing to do with it. (laughs) And, and I, and I kind of straddled both of those lines. I was really thrilled to have a concert to cover again, but it was really weird to be doing it from sitting in my car (laughs) or sitting next to my car or wandering around, you know, a little bit, but you know, we, we, they did what they could. And I know that there's also some talk of maybe doing some things like that in the spring, once the weather gets a little bit warmer, you know, probably March, yeah. April as well. So, you know, it's going to be a quiet winter. I, I can tell you that. And that's, that's a good reason to have things to listen to <laughs> instead right. in your house. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And that's, you know, as I said, it's like, it, it actually seems to be a pretty good year for music this past year, you know, as far as the, recorded music just because so many people released albums that may not have done so in a normal year. That's that's very true. Or I remember when I talked to Butch Walker back in, gosh, I think it was April. It was early in all this. And he released, you know, he, he had had a concept album that he had in the works. I mean, you know, he'd actually recorded, I think like two years ago. And you know, he said, you know, I never really, I, I, I wanted to release this, but I, I didn't know when the right time was going to be to release it. So, you, you know, what do you do when you have a concept album that you can't tour because it's really meant to be heard back to front? It was called American Love Story. And he said, and then it kind of hit me that, well, if there's ever a time that people are going to sit and listen to something back to front, it's going to be now when they have nowhere yeah. else to go and nothing else to do. And American Love Story, by the way, one of my favorite releases of the year, Butch is so clever and his his melody writing as a songwriter and his 
insightful and incisive lyrics. And, you know, he, he tackles politics and racism, but in a really sardonic way. And you have to listen to it to realize that he's being clever and not offensive. And, and, and that's just, that's just the kind of songwriter that he is. So, um, you know, he was somebody who did that. And, then you also have, you know, I, I talked to so many artists over these past few months with that mic check series I started doing. And it was just interesting to hear how a lot of them took the took advantage of the time, like you say, and were like, well, I, you know, I've got nothing else to do. Might as well go in the studio, especially if they had a home studio. But then others were like, you know, I, I just haven't had it in me to sit down and write or to even want to go in the studio because it just feels like Groundhog Day. And, and you know, their creativity was a little depressed from from the, the situation that we've all been in. So, um you know, I, I guess Taylor Swift has kind of set the bar because, yeah. because really she could be home napping or, you know, counting her money. But instead, right. yeah. instead she released what I think is one of the best albums of her career. I know you're a big fan of folklore as yeah. well. Yeah. Also got nominated for a, a bunch of Grammys a couple of weeks ago. And then, yeah, uh, the, the day that we're recording this, she announced that Evermore will be coming out as well. I guess she quotes the Raven as well. Or, yeah. <laughs> oh, that's Nevermore, yeah. right? <laughs> yeah, that's Nevermore. Yeah, she, she says it's a sister album to Folklore. So we'll see, uh, you know, once that, that hits stores. And uh, yeah, as, as I said, it's like one of the things that, that, that have has helped me um, stay sane through this year is is my recent re-addiction to vinyl mm-hmm. um and uh you know I've, I've bought way too much but hey i figure i'm saving money in gas right um and all that sort of and not going out to eat as much uh or or almost any yeah um you know so i'm saving the money that way but but as i said i t- was telling you earlier that i got um the vinyl version of folklore six months, not six months, but 16 weeks mm-hmm. after it was, you know, I bought it in July. Almost six months. Um, <laughs> yeah. It's, it's been a long time, but it finally, uh, finally hit my doorstep a few weeks, a few days ago. So. Well, and she, and um, you know, and as we had talked about, you know, she did several versions of different colors and, and different, yeah. different versions. And that's something that, you know, artists have been in such a weird space these last few years with streaming be, you know because they weren't making right. any money through record sales so touring was really the only way they had and now that got shut down this year and not that taylor swift you know is hurting for, for money i think yeah. you know hers is truly a creative outlet and i'm thinking with evermore you know she probably wrote a hundred songs for folklore yeah. and figured okay well here are another 12 that i think were good yeah. enough to continue you know to cut she probably could have released a double album for folklore and instead is you know doing it this way she's she's pretty savvy in her planning i, sure. I think so um but I mean, but then, you know, and you look at what what's happened in the past couple of weeks, too, when you've heard about these artists like Stevie Nicks and Bob Dylan and David Crosby selling their catalogs for a ton of money. And, you know, I saw a tweet from Crosby that said, look, you know, I think the, the comment was, I can't wait to. I can't wait to hear a uh, um, a, D- a Dylan song in a Chevy commercial or something to that effect. It was, you know, kind yeah. of a, a snotty comment. And Crosby said, "Look, man, there is not a single one of us who wants who wants to sell our music. We do it because we have to at a certain point. And yeah. wh- where someone like him, where touring really was the only thing he had right now, you know, he he's been pretty public about how you know I was about to lose my house. I, I'm poor. You know, I mean, he you know he's somebody who also has talked about how he's kind of wasted a lot of his money over the years on things like drugs, right. but." But he's not alone. And but you look at someone of those statures of these huge artists who have these giant catalogs. And then you see like what they're selling, you know, 100 million reportedly for Stevie Nicks, 300 million for Bob Dylan. Crosby said his was nowhere near that. But even if it was 20 million, you know, I mean, that's (laughs) that's a significant amount of money. But it's also they're the rarities 
these days because they own their 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 intellectual property and so many young artists now don't know to do that and you know 50 years from now when they have no money or they can't tour or they're sick or whatever good luck <laughs> you know good yeah. good luck trying to get some money from all that but yeah, yeah it's it's just it has been a weird slash interesting year of seeing how the music industry has responded to the pandemic how like you said they just you know had to get creative with going on online right. and doing virtual concerts and you know even justin bieber is doing a virtual new year's eve concert and kiss mm-hmm. is go- kiss is performing live from dubai they they figured that they you know they did all the precautions and went out and you know checked everything out and apparently dubai is safe enough that they could put on a concert with a, a limited number of people in the crowd and you yeah. know, you'll get the whole kiss experience online, which, you know, I guess if you're sitting in your living room on New Year's Eve, well, why not? <laughs> you know? right. But but artists really have been forced to look at things from a, a different perspective, I guess, and, you know, kind of cha- channel their creativity in different ways. And and it, yeah. ha- it has worked for a lot of them. I know um, personally a couple of recent things that came out, the Elton John jewel box set and the U2 20th anniversary of All That You Can't Leave Behind. I was very happy to have both of those things arrive <laughs> the last couple of months yeah. because, again, these are things that I probably wouldn't have had the time to sit with as much as I have during normal life when there'd be a million concerts to cover and events to preview and, you know, Broadway in Atlanta happening. And, you know, I mean, just all the, the normal things that, that we do with the paper to cover. So if you haven't checked out either of those, if you're a fan of either Elton or U2, I, I highly recommend both of those, especially Elton's Jewel Box is all of um, it, it's a certain period. It's an early period of his career that are really all B sides and rarities and demos. And, you know, you really hear the formation of a lot of songs and just the, the liner notes that come with it. You know, he, he wrote a little paragraph about each of the songs and, and just sort of the Genesis of it, which to hear that from Elton John is a pretty cool thing. And then the YouTube box set has this wonderful book in, of photos. that sort of, it was a travel log basically from that tour that was, I thought, one of their greatest tours. And, you know, just pictures of like seeing Bono, you know, sitting on the ground at an airport at the luggage, at the luggage spinner, you know, I mean, just things like that. And, and this is, this is the time, if you have the time that you'll want to be able to enjoy those things, because everything's so fast now, and everything is so ephemeral. And at least we still have things like this to, you know, to go back to and, and look at. But what about some other albums this year? I mean, uh, you know, Taylor's was a really great one. I love the Springsteen album, Letter to You. He recorded it with the E Street Band last no- last November, November 2019. They did it in five days live in his studio. And it's got that that vivacity to it. <laughs> I mean, it's just, right. And I, I'm, I'm so excited looking forward to a potential tour from them in 2021. Because, yeah, I mean, this would have been a year that they would have toured it, too. But, yeah, obviously yeah. not happening. Uh, Run the right. Jewels album, RTJ4. That came out this summer, which some of the lyrics in that right after the the killing of George Floyd. I mean, when you, you listen to a song like Walking in the Snow and you hear what Killer Mike wrote, you know, months before anything happened and you go, wow, that is actually eerily prescient. I mean, it's just very <laughs> it's it's, it's yeah. a very visceral album. And it just I think that one of the best in, in their catalog. I mean, they just do some great stuff. And I've become a really big fan of Miley Cyrus's new album, Plastic Hearts, because, you know, I'm an 80s girl. And, yeah. and Miley Miley has a lot of respect for her elders, if you will. She's got duets with Billy Idol and Joan Jett, who's kind of like her spirit sister you know, on the yeah. album. And one of her songs, Midnight Sky, one of Miley's songs, Midnight Sky, it she said, like, you know, she knows when she borrows 
heavily from an artist and she she could realize that midnight skies had a lot of um six um a lot of similarities to Stevie Nicks's Edge of Seventeen, so she actually invited Stevie to come in the studio, and they cut a remix of the song that incorporates Midnight Sky and Edge of Seventeen. So Stevie's on there, mm. and if you've never heard Miley's covers, she is she does some of the best covers of any yeah. artist out there, and yeah. she actually tacked on a couple on the album Blondie's Heart of Glass that was from an iHeartRadio thing, I believe, and then she did um, the the Cranberry Zombie for a show that happened recently, a virtual show that happened recently for NEVA, the National Independent Venue Association, which was something else that was created this year as an organization that's trying to help local venues and independent venues stay in business throughout all of this. Because as we like to remind people, (laughs) they were one of the first industries that had to close. They will be one of the last that are able to reopen. And Unlike even the restaurant industry that has had options of doing takeout or curbside or whatever, the venue industry has had nada, zero, closed. Hundreds and thousands of people from production and crews and costume, whatever, you know, have all been furloughed or laid off. So, so anyway, so Neva is a whole other thing to, you know, to get interested in and and maybe donate some money to if you've got it. But, but Miley's um, cover the zombies came from a show she did for them. And, I when I was you know talking to a friend about her new album recently, I was reminded in uh, 2018 she was on SNL and did it was in December and she did a cover of John Lennon's "War Is Over" with Mark Ronson and Sean Lennon, which is so cool to watch. If you go on YouTube, you can you know find the clip and it's just such a powerful resonant version of that song. And to see Sean standing next to her singing harmony, it's just. It's really it, it's it's really kind of chilling, but but Miley's album album Plastic Hearts really good. Check it out if you yeah. if you like yeah. you know synth pop type type stuff. Right. Uh, yeah, I still haven't heard that one just yet. It's like I keep looking at it. I'm like I need to listen to that. So. Yeah, I you know and yeah. and I do think you will appreciate it for what it is. You, yeah. you know, and she's got a great voice. She's somebody I you know I yeah. still think is a little underrated or underappreciated because of all the other stuff that comes with her celebrity. <laughs> you know, she's mm-hmm. she's one of those. And then you know, look at look at Out Our Back Window, Goody Mob and CeeLo both released albums this year. Dan Auerbach produced CeeLo's and CeeLo's solo album it, it's so different than what he does with Goody Mob. I mean, it's it's like folk and soul and r&b and just these these great um these these layered melodies and he recorded a lot of it at muscle shoals and or i'm sorry he recorded a lot of it with some of the regular session players from muscle shoals who came to dan's studio in nashville and recorded it and then you look what goody mob did with their new album survival kit which i think is you know probably the best thing they've released in 15 years and you know they've got they've they really wanted to have their finger on what, you know, everything that's going on now socially and politically and have a message, you know, to, to get out to fans, but yet they're, they're rapping and their songs. It's, it's just so fresh and it sounds, it's really, it's a, it's a really good album. If, if you're into Goody Mob at all, or, you know, at the Atlanta rap scene, <laughs> I, yeah. I highly recommend checking that out as well. Um, and then who else? Oh, The Weeknd. We, the Weeknd who, Poor weekend right. got got snubbed at the Grammys big time, which is so bizarre yeah. because "Blinding Lights" was a huge commercial song. It's not the kind of thing yeah. that they typically overlook, and his whole After Hours album is is really solid. <laughs> and I'm not right. I'm not sure what happened there. That really is just a, a weird thing. I mean, I you know having worked with the Grammys for many many years, I mean, I truly don't believe it was. Oh, he's playing the Super Bowl. We can't nominate him for anything. I could see him not performing on the show because he was 
performing at the Super Bowl halftime show next year. But I don't think it really has anything to do with with whether or no. not you get nom- nominated because that all comes from, you know, thousands of members of the voting academy. It has nothing to do with the actual producers of the show. But I, I was really, yeah, I mean, that real that and, and Run the Jewels album were the two that you kind of went, huh? Okay. <laughs> what's what's yeah. going on here as far as getting overlooked critically? Um, but, you know, they're, they're both they worth, Definitely, definitely worth checking out. And another band I love, The Struts, released their third album this summer called Strange Days. And they were supposed to play The Masquerade in June. And I was so excited when I saw that <laughs> announced because I love them. And I thought, oh, cool, they're playing a small venue. It's going to be great. And then, you know, no, close the door on that, too. Yeah. But, you know, they'll, they'll be around. And, that you know, at least with these younger bands, like the 1975 had a great album with notes on the conditional form. I mean, that I thought really showed how they were moving beyond their the boundaries of their first few albums and, you know, kind of genre hopping a little bit and experimenting and finding, finding themselves, but, you know, bands like them and the struts and even little baby, you know, I mean, these younger artists, even with this year being what it is, what it was, they'll be fine going forward because they've got their whole futures ahead of them. It's, it's the, it's the artists like the Springsteens and the Eltons and, you know, that I worry about, you know, Tony Bennett, you know, seeing again because they are older and they don't necessarily have to be touring, even though Elton is still on his eight year retirement farewell tour, <laughs> but right. that he's supposed to start up again next fall overseas and then back here in 2022 in, in the U.S. Um, but, you know, I mean, th- that's what I think you know, we're going to have to kind of hold our breath a little bit and see, you know, will the Rolling Stones be back? I, I don't know. Chuck Lavelle has told me that, you know, he's not sure that next year is going to work as far as the stadiums that they had booked, but, you know, certainly by 2022 would be the plan. But, you know, is everybody going to be healthy? Is everybody going to be ready to roll? Right. Yeah. yeah. Well, it, it's hard it is say. it is the Stones, so I'm, I'm sure. Right. Yeah. They, yeah. I mean, I'm sure it, Keith it will be fine. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, it's interesting. I mean, you mentioned that, you know, some of these older artists worry about them, but you know, I worry sometimes about the the younger bands too. And, and how, you know, we were talking earlier about how they've had to get creative Mm -hmm. with with merchandise and, and, you know, different things. Like one of my favorite albums of the year was the Fontaine's DC, Mm -hmm. who I love, Mm -hmm. uh, Irish band, uh, Hero's Death, which is a fantastic album. Um, And, you know, they put out a bunch of different versions of it. Um, you know, they, they need to make some money because uh, right. like you said earlier, the, the streaming services, they don't make anything off of no, this stuff. No, um, pennies. You know, they make it, pennies. I, I mean, yeah, know. it's even worse than the, you know, in the old record company days yeah. when, you know, they would get really bad contracts and they would, you know, make, you know, pennies on the dollar. Right. At least they were making that. Streaming doesn't even give them that. No, streaming uh, streaming has really, you know, streaming has been such a, as good as it's been for the consumer is as awful as it's been for the artist. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you know, like other bands, you know how much I love Idols. Mm-hmm. They released an album this year as well called Ultramano. Um, and they really went all out with the merchandising. It's like, you know, the deluxe bundle of, you know, <laughs> vinyl and, and, you know, and they're, they, they've always been big with the t-shirts. They have, my closet is full of them Um, (laughs) and I don't have anywhere near all of them. There's tons. So, I mean, that's how they help stay afloat because they can't tour, you know, that was part of how they were making their money and promoting new albums and stuff. So they were touring constantly and, you know, that all came to a screeching halt. And just like here in, in America, in the UK, the venues are struggling as well. And, you know, they have efforts there as well where, 
you know, people are, some of the artists are, are helping out, you know, donating things right. and, and stuff like that to help these various venues. Well, but, you know, we, uh, we could, we could do a, a whole podcast on saving the venues nationwide yeah. because, you know, right. because what, what you just said, everything is, is really connected because you look at these up and coming bands that now have nowhere to play, which means they're losing out on that ground floor of growth. And, yeah. you know, you look at a place like Smith's Old Bar here and, you know, that's where Kings of Leon played their first show as a band. That's like the second place Janelle Monet ever, ever performed. And if if you don't have places like that around the country, you know, how do you go from, hey, we're playing, you know, backyard parties to State Farm Arena? You know, I mean, that doesn't happen. Right. <laughs> and yeah. and they're they're losing out on that ability to to grow a fan base and to to reach fans and to, you know, learn as musicians even to be performers and you know i mean right. every everything feeds the other thing and that's what's what's so sad about all of this in addition to all the people who are out of work and not making money but but just the trickle down effect that it's going to have on on the artistic side of stuff because you're right i mean the these younger bands don't have the luxury of being able to come back in six months and you know just continue you know the, continue the tour they postponed last year to, right. to play lakewood you know? yeah and yeah. and that's that's gonna be it's good i think next year is is actually going to be a just sort of a pivotal year in music to see who's able to survive and and also you right. know our our fans gonna feel comfortable coming out to support them I, I mean you know there are certainly millions of people who would like to come out to go to a show, but are they going to feel comfortable? And you have to take that into account yeah. too. I mean, you, you, you yeah. can't judge somebody if they don't feel ready to go out to a concert, but, but like you, you know, there's certain, there's certainly ways to support your favorite musicians, whether it is yeah. buying three versions of the album or buying right. 47 t-shirts t- or, or yeah. whatever. So yeah. I, but you know, it, it's, it's good to keep that in mind that the things that some people might take for granted as background music are the livelihoods of you know, thousands of performers around the country and, yeah. you know, we, we need, yeah, we need and, to support and, them. Yeah. And some of it's like another one that, that I just remembered. It's like BC Camplight who hasn't really done much here. He's actually an American who lives in the UK. Um, and uh, he released an album this year called shortly after takeoff, which is great. It's one of my favorite albums of the year. And what he did, he was, as the album was being released, he would do every Friday, he would do like a live stream show, uh, from his his flat in in Manchester, and uh, you know it was great fun. It's like in the early days of the the pandemic, and you know it it was nice to to have that sort of camaraderie with other people who were watching as well, and everybody's chatting and and all that, and and making requests, and that was really great. But and and after that, he started a Patreon account, which you know allows people to sort of subscribe to things that that he would do. Um, you know, and that's another way that, that, uh, artists are, are helping to fund their, their work really, uh, you know, things like GoFundMes and, and Patreon and all of that. Um, so, you know, they're finding ways, but it's, it doesn't make up for, for all of the lost income and all of the lost promotion and visibility that, that touring would have given them. No, it's it's kind of the equivalent of restaurants doing takeout only. <laughs> yeah, you know, it, it really it's is. it's something, but it's not what it was, and and it's not going to be until the, the whole package is able to come back. The release an album, tour the album, sell the merchandise at the show, you know, and wash, rinse, repeat. And 
and I think that's, you know, hopefully what we'll see a little bit more of at least by springtime of, of 2021, you know, I mean, and a, and a lot of these, these people I've talked to these past six months, musicians, they've all said that they're tentatively eyeing, you know, the April time frame as booking new dates and, and that kind of stuff. And, you know, a lot of the shows that, that you and I have seen postponed at some of the venues here that were supposed to take place in now, you know, or November or whatever, it, it looks like April and May is the target for them to return to. And, yeah. you know, we'll just have to wait and see, but there's, there's so much, there's so much to unpack and there's just so much to figure out. And it's, it's, you know, it, it's going to take a solid year for anything to return to what it was pre pandemic. Yeah. But I think yeah. within four or five months, we should at least see a little bit of light <laughs> as far as what we're able to experience and, and, yeah. and what the people on the other side, the other stage are able to to do professionally. So We'll just have yeah, to see. So. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I'm, it's like, you know, it's weird that, that in the past couple of years, I finally started going back to live shows after not doing <laughs> right. it for such a long time. And and then all of a sudden I got cut off again. Right. So. Right. You got to get you got to get back in the group. I'll tell you what, when whenever this does start again, I know I'm going to be exhausted for <laughs> the first month because yeah. even when those shows popped up at the end of October, those drive in shows, they were back to back weekends of, mm-hmm. you know, Friday, Saturday, Sundays. And by the second weekend, I was like, oh, my God. I mean, I am so out of practice. I was just such such in that rhythm of, you know, working throughout the day a little bit, but then going out at, you know, five, six o'clock, driving to the venue, going to the show, coming back, writing, stayed up till two in the morning, whatever. I mean, that was that's just my lifestyle for 20 something years of covering music. And, you know, when, when I haven't had that that part of sitting in traffic and going to venues or whatever, when you add all of that back in and and the first show back at uh, Alpha at the parking lot that they did at the Alpharetta Amphitheater, there was construction on 400 coming home. And it was the kind, and there was an accident that, that was, you know, caused by the construction. I mean, and I sat there for almost an hour and I was just like seething going, I miss yeah. this. I did not miss this. <laughs> <laughs> this sucks. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Traffic is something that none of us miss. No, okay. no. And you think at 11 o'clock at night, you're like, oh, well, if this is the best time to be going back and forth from, you know, Buckhead to yeah. or whatever that, you know, you're not going to get stuck in traffic. And, but, you know, it's just like all those little things that I hadn't forgotten about, but, you know, you, you just get out of practice of having to deal with. And my patience was was at you know sub zero for for dealing with that stuff because I hadn't had to in, in so many months so so yeah I mean it's it's a rhythm that you know was certainly disrupted no pun intended but <laughs> but yeah. you know for for everybody for concert goers too so yeah it's it'll be interesting uh, you know once once we have these opportunities again to cover stuff or to, to go to attend stuff and if you decide you want to go back out to shows and you know get back in, into the groove a little bit there with going to see stuff live yeah. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I definitely will. If you know, if Idols Fontaines come back, you know, I'll be, I'll be there. But uh, you know, and and several other things. It's like I'm, you know, things I'm. Their albums already. I'm looking forward to in 2021 mm-hmm. and things like that. So uh, it's a young young woman called Arlo Parks out of London who is fabulous, and she's got an album coming out in January. I'm looking forward to that. Mm-hmm. And she's actually going to start touring in April. So she says. Here, we'll in the see US. How that goes. Yeah, we'll see. Yeah. Uh, you know, that's the thing. People are planning, you know, tours for next year, but just like the ones that got postponed several times this year, right. you never know no. if they'll they'll actually happen. Um, especially with, you know, if if it does, if we do get to the point where people are booking these shows again a lot, um, you know, 
there's just going to be like this avalanche of right. people who want to perform. And will there be enough <laughs> venues right. for them to perform? Will there at? be enough open dates for people to do? Yeah. And, and I, and, you know, back in March, like especially the mid end period of March, I mean, you know, every day you and I were just like, Oh my God, make it stop. I mean, it was just the, the number of cancellations and postponements, but yeah. at that point, everything was just sort of being bumped to June, you know, June or July. Mm-hmm. Cause everybody yeah. was like, Oh yeah, you know, it'll be a couple of months yeah. of a shutdown and, you know, we'll get back on the road or whatever. And, and even then I remember us going, okay, if everybody's moving their shows to June or July, you know, that, that's not going to work because <laughs> there's only so many venues of a certain size, depending on the, you know, the status of the artist and you know, how, how is that going to work out? And, and, you know, we saw so many tours that were postponed, you know, three or four times until they finally yeah. just gave up and said, OK, we're just going to move this to 2021 because this is stupid and it's irritating our fans. And, it, yeah. you know, it's just too confusing with t- ticket refunds and postponements and all that kind of stuff. But, yeah, you just hope that we're not going to see a repeat of that in, in the right. spring. But yeah. Yeah, now it's just a matter of keeping our fingers crossed that that this time it will really will happen. Yes. So. I think it was smart at a certain point to say, let's yeah. just move this to 2021. Like Ringo Starr, I give a lot of credit to because it was June. Well, his his original show here was booked for June of 2020. And I think it was like in April, maybe, that he just said, you know what, I'm just moving the whole tour to 2021. <laughs> you know? right. He was like, I'm older. I don't need to take any risks of being on stage. I'm not going to sit and wait and see when I can get over to the States again and you know how anything's going to work out with travel bans or stuff like that so let's just let's just say a year from now i'll be back and let's hope it all works out but i know i I know i know that uh we will all be very happy to look 2020 in the rear view uh, in the rear view mirror in a couple of weeks (laughs) yes indeed and do you did you uh do you have a story that sort of uh you know goes with this Uh, are you doing a wrap-up of the year or anything that uh, we might want to send people to well i am doing a story on the 18th that will be in our do guide go guide section um that's sort of looking at some of the things that you might have missed over the year or things that you might want to make sure that you check out or revisit so yeah you know i typically do my top 10 concerts of the year, but that would be a pretty short yeah. list. <laughs> not, yeah. not that everything I didn't see that I saw this year wasn't really good, but it, you know, it's, there wasn't enough to do a list and, um, yeah. and, you know, and I'm, I might do just like a top 10 album type of thing, but, but right now, yeah. definitely the December 18th is something and that'll be online too on the music scene blog. So right. you could always check that out as well. Yeah. As always, go to uh, AJC.com and go to the Atlanta Music Scene blog where Melissa keeps up with all the latest. And and if these people finally do tour, (laughs) she will have the news of it. And she will probably be covering quite a few of them. I hope so. uh, (laughs) I say that now. Remind me I said that. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, thanks so much for uh, chatting about uh, 2020 and the weirdness therein. And onward we go. (laughs) Yes, indeed. There's nothing normal about our new normal, but AJC.com is the same trusted source you've always had, and we have just as much great content, if not more. That's why each week I'll highlight my personal picks for the best things to do, see, and experience, and the stories are easy to find on AJC.com. Where do black Americans turn for sanctuary, for fraternity, and support? According to a new book of black and white photography from artist Antonio M. Johnson, You Next, Reflections in Black Barbershops, for many that place is the barbershop. In creating these portraits of black men, Johnson says he was inspired by the work of Gordon Parks and Jamil Shabazz, whose own photographs capture black people in their neighborhoods and communities. 
Read more about this documentary project on AJC.com. In 2013, the History Channel considered producing an ambitious eight-part miniseries based on Alex Kershaw's nonfiction book, The Liberator, about Felix Sparks' 500-day odyssey across Europe in 1944 and 1945. But the History Channel ultimately passed because the steep budget was too daunting. Then the project just sat around. Enter Atlanta-based School of Humans, a company with a hybrid animation technology that could greatly reduce the cost of shooting the film by eliminating extras, tanks, planes, and pricey on-location shoots. History felt the animation look wasn't for them, so Netflix picked up the A&E Studios project. Now you can see the results streaming on Netflix. Read all about this Atlanta-based project on Rodney Ho's radio and TV talk blog at AJC.com. The holiday season is here, and while it may feel very different this year, some things won't change. It's still the time to give gifts that show our friends and family our appreciation and to see the joy that a well-chosen gift brings them. The AJC has some suggestions for all your gift-giving needs. Our gift guide explores everything from subscription services to ideas for gifts under $30. You'll find all of that and much more on our Holiday Guide page at AJC.com slash Holiday Guide. The AJC's dining team continues to explore some of the best in takeout with the Atlanta Orders In feature, which you'll find in print in the living section most weekdays. One of the places they recently visited is Publico Kitchen and Tap. They've offered a mix of Latin and Asian flavors since the concept was launched in Columbia, South Carolina in 2016. Atlantans got a taste of it in 2018 when the partners expanded to a spot on Crescent Avenue in Midtown. Read up on all the places the team has visited on the Atlanta Restaurant Scene blog at AJC.com. And to get the AJC delivered or to subscribe to the e-paper, go to AJC.com slash subscribe. For more things to do in and around Atlanta, go to AJC.com. Our senior editor is Nicole Smith. Podcast edited by Bria Felicien. Music by Bo Emerson and Billy Guen, And I'm your host, Shane Harrison. Join us next week for more Access Atlanta.